So why do we do what we do? I mean, really. Why do we do what we do? Uh, I guess I have to, have to pre preface this by saying that there's nothing wrong with me. I mean, why are we here? Why are you sitting here? Why are you listening to this? Well, I'm not talking about necessarily in this building or in this city. I'm talking about a grander thing. Why are we on this consistently revolving globe of rocks and water and gases? Why does God uh, continue to allow us to breathe his air? I mean, what's the use? Day in and day out, the same over and over again. Have you ever wondered about that? Have you ever struggled with that? In fact, some people struggle with this idea so much so that they uh, want to take their lives because they can't figure it out through their own imaginations and reading of things. They say, uh, and they throw up their hands and they say, what's the use? But if this is you, I tell you right now not to do it. Not to give up because God has a better plan for your life. God wants more from you and that there is a purpose. But I want you to know, and as you can possibly imagine, that Jesus himself, that he was absolutely clear on his purpose. Jesus knew why he was where he was. There was no doubt in his mind. And today, we're going to talk about a few of these things about our purpose as it is intertwined with the purpose of Jesus Christ. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So quite clearly, Jesus sets it out for us. If we were to ask, why did Jesus come to this earth? He tells us very clearly that he came to proclaim the good news to the poor. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus says it quite clearly that this is my purpose. And how does he do it? Jesus explains his purpose by identifying himself with the word of God. Jesus explains his purpose for being on the earth by first identifying himself with the Word of God. As we see here, if you look at uh, verses 16 and 17 here in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, he went to Nazareth, he entered a synagogue, and he read Scripture. I mean, what's so spectacular about that? 
He went to Nazareth. In fact, remember Nazareth was the place that some people asked, is there anything good that can come out of that place? Remember that? So he went into this nondescript place where he was from. He was not born there, but he was from there. And he uh, went into a church, and much like we did today, except we did it together, and he read Scripture. Now if you look at uh, verse 17, you'll notice that according to our passage, Jesus read what was handed to him. Right? It says there uh, that, uh, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. You see that? So Jesus did not say, uh, at least we don't have a count of him saying, that let's see, I want this book, I want that book. It says the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. In fact, it was customary for people to read passages of Scripture during the time of the Sabbath or during church time. And more precisely, some folks may have viewed Jesus as a rabbi. Because as we know, that people oftentimes they ask Jesus questions and he would answer uh, those questions uh, very accurately. So many folks thought that Jesus was a rabbi. But it says that he quoted from the prophet Isaiah. Now we can't read a quote that Jesus quoted without going to the original quote. So, with me please, turn to Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And as the Spirit of the Lord came upon the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah uttered these words. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and I know some of you may be thinking to yourself if you thought about that, comparing the two, and you may have noticed that it looks like Jesus didn't read it exactly the way it should have been read, and why weren't things lined up? Well, there's many reasons why that could have happened, but nevertheless, we're not going to concern ourselves with that today. But this is what we must know. With many of the prophets, we often read and see their call to the nation of Israel to straighten up, else expect the judgment of God upon them. And this was true not only for the nation of Israel, uh, this was also true for many other nations that God's prophets also prophesied to them. But notice, uh, back to Luke chapter 4, verses 18-19, notice how Jesus ends the quote, however. This is important for us to, to note. That Jesus ends the quote without uh, talking about the vengeance of God. Do you see that? When you compare them back to back, you see how Jesus, how he stops at that particular point. Because in Isaiah, we see that uh, Isaiah the prophet, he goes on to talk about the day of vengeance of our God. Why does Jesus stop there? Why did he cut off the message of vengeance of God to a stiff-necked and hard-hearted people? Because after all, as Jesus began his ministry, he was also dealing with very difficult people. He was also dealing with people who would ultimately crucify him. He was dealing with folks that uh, wanted to uh, make a public spectacle out of him. Really couldn't at the end of the day. Why would Jesus stop there? Well, to understand this, we must understand the nature and scope of Jesus' ministry. So the question is, 
Jesus came to the earth to do what? What did Jesus come to the earth to do? To seek and to save the lost. He came to the earth in order to become a sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. Uh, if you look at John 12 and 47, also gives us additional insight. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 47. Jesus says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. You see what he says? Jesus says that if you hear my words and don't keep them, I'm not going to judge you. And then he goes on to say, For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So Jesus says, if you hear my words and you don't keep them, well, I'm not going to judge you. But wait a minute, you may say to me. You may say, oh, hold up for a second then. Many folks think that Jesus judged others when he stepped foot on earth. And he began to converse and interact with folks that disagreed with him. That we believe that Jesus judged them. But the fact remains that Jesus was a, was a truth teller. And the content of his, his preaching and, and his teaching was to inform folks of a negative outcome of their livelihood, of their very life, if they continued along the path. You see, at the end of the day, we can't send anyone to hell. Amen? So when someone tells you or asks you the question, do you think you can send me to hell, that you'll look them square in the eye and say, no, I can't send you to hell. Because I did not come here to judge you, but I came to provide truth to you. But at other times, come on, uh, Jesus accurately judged the character of any individual. Because scripture said that he knew the heart of men. So on the, other, uh, on the one hand it says that he did not come to judge. But on the other hand, uh, we know that in the sense that Jesus says some negative things about the folks. Remember in his parables as he was talking to folks, he, he talked about the rich man. And he talked about the rich man who went and he filled all of his barns. And then Jesus says, eat, that's where the quote comes from, eat, drink, and be merry. Says, for this man does not know that his soul will be required of him this very day. So Jesus, he does judge, but he did not judge. He did not immediately send folks to hell. The folks said, well, God is love. That uh, I could never serve a God who has wrath in them, and that's why I like Jesus Christ, because Jesus never uh, judged anyone. Uh, some uh, what one famous um, talk host, uh, talk host, talk show host from the past from Chicago, oftentimes made statements that. You know, uh, the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament because the God of the Old Testament was very wrathful. But the God that I see in the New Testament, in, in this person of Jesus, he was very loving. See, they don't know what the full story is or what this full story was, so therefore they can make statements like that. So because Jesus came to rescue the world from being stuck in its sinfulness or disobedient state, that oftentimes people think that uh, there is no judgment or wrath in Jesus Christ. But Jesus was so focused on his mission, was so laser locked in on his mission to redeem. Uh, that he needed to emphasize the prophetic aspects of his ministry, which conveys life and not take it away. Amen? Uh, Jesus 
came from heaven to earth to show the way. Amen? This is what it's about. Uh, that there is a better way of life. That there is a way to God. And there is only one way. All roads do not lead to heaven. That there is only one way and one God. So this is why Jesus stopped where he did. It was not that he couldn't remember the rest of the verse. Amen? It was not that he had an issue with uh, talking about God's wrath. It was because people needed to know about his purpose and about God's love for them. But for those people who believe that uh, the God of the New Testament has no wrath, for those who think Jesus is only about love, uh, you have not fully explored the breadth and the width of God's word concerning Jesus Christ. So understand that Jesus is coming again. And when he does, he will uh, set off a series of uh, cataclysmic events uh, which are the signs of his wrath. So don't get it wrong and don't get it twisted. And understand what the scripture says as a whole. Jesus, he will judge, but that was not the time for it. And neither is today, amen? Remember again, however, truth can be spoken at any time, so never refrain from doing what the Spirit of God does and when the Spirit of God opens the door for you. So know how to understand what Jesus said. Uh, in other words, how then do we understand what Jesus has said here? Here you go, some of you folks that have been a part of our Bible study, uh, you know this and you have it down pat. So we must uh, interpret this passage, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, with two different understanding, uh, understandings, and in this case, they work in tandem and not in opposition. So interpret this passage with two different understandings that work together in tandem and not in opposition. So one of the things that you know that in interpreting the scripture that there are several approaches to understanding the word of God. And typically there are two major camps. There is the literal camp and there is the non-literal camp. Amen? So you understand what the literal approach is. It's when we understand scripture for face value except when the passage or context suggests that we should not. So when we read scripture, that we will understand it for what is being said there. And we don't have to say that, no, it doesn't say that, but it always says something else. Recently, a candidate for political office was questioned whether or not that something that this person said was literally true or not. Uh, uh, he told some folks as they began to question him that what I said is literal, that I'm not being figurative, that I mean exactly what I said. And then later conceding for the fact that, well, maybe I was just using sarcasm. So were you being literal? Were you using sarcasm? And was that sarcasm in place, right? You have to understand all that together. Uh, so as recently, as our times, people have discussions on, as to whether or not something is literal or not. But concerning Scripture, there are times when uh, the non-literal method is introduced in Scripture, and that method, however, still makes Scripture literal. I, I know that's kind of out there. Well, well here we go. A Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Paul's letter to the Corinthian is written uh, to combat divisions in the church while correcting some unchristian behavior. Amen? It was written to combat divisions in the church. As a matter of fact, uh, the Corinthian church was so twisted and had it so messed up that they had, they had even gotten the gospel turned around. Hence 1 Corinthians 15. But when you receive a letter from someone, generally, right, 
You say generally? Uh, generally, uh, uh, most of the time, you don't have to read in between the lines. When you receive a letter, it is what it is. You can't say that Paul only wants to draw people together and closer to God <clears throat> when he tells uh, church folks to stop sleeping with their relatives. Paul says that uh, you need to stop sleeping with your mother-in-law. He was not saying that, well, this is all figurative. This is what Paul means and all he's really saying, keep doing what you're doing, but just get closer to God. Amen. That's not what Paul was saying. He was saying, stop sleeping with your mother-in-law. Now, with the literal approach, Scripture may invite you to interpret a meaning in a different way that is non-literal as well. As an example, as some of you know, Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. And the Scripture reads, The hairs of his head, and this is Jesus, the hairs of his head were, were white, like white wool, like snow. Amen? Uh, this is in no way implying that Jesus had woolly hair like a black man. I'll say it again. It is in no way implying that Jesus had a woolly hair like a black man. This was not a statement about the ethnicity of Jesus as some would have you to believe. If you look at the passage very carefully, you will notice the term white. So what the passage clearly teaches is that his hair is what? His hair is white like the wool of sheep. This was a statement about the color of Jesus' hair, which really indicates that his personhood was shining so bright that he looked white. Have you ever seen a, a light that was so bright that it looked white in your eyes? This is what was happening uh, when uh, the Apostle John, uh, when he saw Jesus, uh, when he looked into his face, all he could see was this shining, uh, very intense glow coming from Jesus. In fact, he even said that his eyes were as a flame of fire. Again, we know from Scripture, we remember when, when Moses uh, was walking in the wilderness alone and he had, uh, approached the bush and he turned around in the bush and the bush was doing what? The bush was what? It was on fire! But yet it was not consumed with fire. And then when Moses went up uh, into the mountain and he came back down, that Moses was glowing uh, so heavily that he had to do what to his face? He had to put a veil on his face because folks couldn't even look at him. Why? Because just that moment with God was enough uh, to scare folks. This is how you know when some folks have been in prayer with God. Amen? This is how you know when, when people spend time with God because the fire of God comes off of them. Amen? The fire of God comes off of them. But then, however, there's this non-literal approach. And this is when a word or a phrase is spoken or written and it never, ever, ever, ever means what it actually says. If someone said, uh, you are a yellow belly, what do they mean by that? Uh, they're not saying that your belly is really yellow. Well, for some folks, that could be true. Now, I, you know, I have to say that. But generally, if someone calls you a yellow belly, they're not saying that your stomach is yellow. What are they saying? They're saying that you are a... Coward, exactly. So something as straightforward as salvation may have nothing to do in the economy of some folks' thoughts and mind with the redeeming of the human race as it clearly states in Scripture, but instead uh, think that we must all get along. So some people approach the entire Bible in a non-literal sense. 
But the problem with this non-literal sense is that who then determines what anything means? How do I know what Scripture means if every time I turn around, you're telling me it means something else? You see, interpretation then is always left to the one who interprets and no one else can ever, ever prove otherwise. This opens that door, and you have heard this before, uh, this door to the my truth syndrome. You know what I mean when I said the my truth syndrome? That is, uh, when, when folks say that uh, what is true for you may not necessarily be true for me. That is your truth. Well, there's only one truth. Amen? Uh, when you go out here and you stop at an intersection, uh, a four-way intersection out here, and one side is green and one side red, and you end up running into someone because you just said, well, I know my light said red, but that was not my truth. My truth was that I can go through any color light that I see, that red, yellow, or green, that it all means go to me. And then when the officer stops you and says, have you lost your mind? And you say, your truth is not my truth. And the officer says, well, you better learn my truth or else you're going to be in big trouble. So God has set forth the rules on the earth. Amen? And God has says, uh, red means stop. Hallelujah. God says, yellow means to be cautious. God says that green means to go in his economy. He says, you can speak of your truth all that you want to, but at the end of the day, if you violate those things, then uh, something negative may happen to you. Interesting, however, we can take, listen to this, after all of that, a literal approach to Scripture and a non-literal approach to Scripture, we can take those views, and especially the non-literal view of Luke chapter 4, verses 19, 18 and 19. You hear what I just said? Non-literal view of Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. In other words, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. But what are you talking about? So we understand that when Jesus came to proclaim good news uh, to the poor, we understand that uh, those who were spiritually destitute can receive the message of eternal life. Amen? He came to proclaim liberty through his message. It says here, uh, verse 18, to proclaim good news to the poor. When Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives, you may know that people have been held captive by sin and had no other way of escaping. We also know there are people who are held captive by the chains of darkness which are prevalent throughout this earth. In other words, there is this underlying message that is clearly present throughout the reading of this passage by Jesus. In other words, uh, that he's saying, uh, in essence, uh, there is this main uh, spiritual uh, overtone throughout this thing, that he came to deliver the gospel, and for this, this makes sense. It's important to note that Jesus never explains any of this to us. The scripture records the next thing that occurred. Uh, look at this, Luke chapter 4, verses 20 through 21. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus didn't need to say anything else. Because this passage pointed back to him. That this was all about Jesus and his purpose for coming to the earth. But as Jesus' disciples, there is an understanding about his ministry, which also speaks to us about our purpose and about our ministry as well. Let's look at what Jesus told the followers of John the Baptist 
to tell him while John was in jail. Uh, please look at uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 22 through 23. And here we find that uh, Jesus' call goes beyond the words of redemption. So Jesus' appointment, Jesus' anointing, that it goes beyond the words of redemption. Luke 7, 22, 23. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. You see that? Go and tell John what you have seen. Typically, in the, uh, uh, the teaching and the preaching ministry of Jesus, it's always about what you hear. It's always about what you can take away to implement into your heart. But Jesus says here, go and tell John what you have what? What does the scripture say? What you have? So in other words, there was something that Jesus was doing that was observable. There was something that, uh, that Jesus was doing that you can look with your eyes and say, look at what Jesus is doing. Tell John what you have seen. Tell him what you heard. And then here it is. He says what? The blind receive their sight. You see that play? Go ahead and tell John what you have seen. You have seen the blind receive their sight. You have seen the lame walk. You have seen that the lepers are cleansed. You have seen that the deaf hear. You have seen and heard that the dead are raised up. Uh, you have heard that the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So Jesus' call goes beyond the words of redemption. So as we piece it all together, we see it was not only about salvation, right? It was not uh, simply about, well, you need to know Jesus Christ. You need to get saved. You need to repent from your sins, right? It wasn't just about that. Jesus sent this message to John the Baptist because John seemed, uh, after a while, a little uncertain as to whether or not Jesus Christ was that Messiah to come. Remember, uh, on the one hand, that when John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus Christ, that his spirit began to stir up inside of him, and he looked at Jesus, and you remember the words that he said, uh, that he couldn't help himself? He said what? He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So on the one hand, uh, John couldn't help himself. And when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold, everybody take a look. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he announces this with such boldness, such certainty, that no one can miss. But now, that small seed of doubt entered his heart. Luke chapter 7, verse 20. Luke chapter 7, verse 20. And when the men had come to him, that is to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, what? Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for somebody else? Well, wait a minute. You, you see, this is what I'm talking about. How can you on the one hand say, look, this is Jesus. Look, this is the Lamb of God. Look, this is him. We've been waiting. We've been waiting. We've been waiting. And then later you end up sending someone saying that. Ask him if he really is the one that is to come. Have you ever been in that place before in your life? Have you ever been in that place in your life that at one time you were strong for Jesus and you knew who Jesus was? Remember that time that you uh, were so in love with G Jesus uh, that you could do backflips, 
cartwheels. You can even jump off one of these pews because you were so in love with Jesus because Jesus had done great things for you. And then we enter into that place of doubt. That small seed of doubt that has entered our minds and our hearts causing our faith to succumb to it. It is in that place that we feel vulnerable where before we felt unmovable, unshakable. So Jesus came into this world to redeem it, but he also healed people from diseases and conditions which many had been trapped in without any hope. The man who was formerly blind said this to those who questioned him about Jesus, and we find this in John chapter 9, verse 25. He said, he answered, uh, whether he is a sinner concerning Jesus, uh, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see Jesus healed me. You can say whatever you want to say about Jesus, but all I know is about my condition right now and what I once was, I am no longer that today. And all I can say is amen to God for that and you can't take that away. You see, Jesus didn't just go and say, believe in me and you will be saved and then he went on his merry way. He touched lies by touching the lame so that they could walk. Touching the eyes of the blind so that they could see. And touching the ears of the deaf so that they could hear. But if you look at Christianity today, you must wonder. You must wonder about our ability to, to heal like Jesus did. We often ask ourselves the question, oftentimes, internally, where is the power of God? Where is His power? Acts chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Look at what happened during the course of Peter's ministry. And I don't want you to miss this. Acts 3, verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And then look at this next section. This is Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, verse 8. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. It's very clear that through the disciples, that many signs and wonders and miracles were performed in the name of Jesus Christ. As you can imagine, I've been a little busy. Last week I also met with a, uh, uh, a couple from Texas that were in town. And uh, he was part of a ministry, and he was explaining to me one of the things that happened in the ministry. They're very solid Christians, very solid. Very so In fact, uh, uh, he was uh, so well thought of that uh, they actually uh, called him to be senior pastor at a church down there in the Texas area uh, that was well known for having decades and decades and decades of really great preachers. You would know who they were. But he shared uh, with me a story about a believer had, had come to Christ through their organization. And uh, ultimately, this individual uh, in this foreign land, uh, that they wanted to start a church. So one of the things he wanted to do, uh, that they needed to do, you have to go to your government officials to get permission to start a church. Even if you just wanted to put up a building, you pay for it all yourself and say, we'll pay all the taxes and all the other stuff. Don't worry about that. You can't do it in these nations. It simply can't happen. So he went to this official and he asked them, uh, he told them that he wanted to start a church and do whatever. And that person, that uh, they looked at him and they laughed at him. They laughed at him and said, do you think that we're going to allow you to start a church here in this place? He says, there's no Christians anywhere. 
rebuked him, and the guy mocked him, and he laughed at him. A few weeks later, the same man who was denied permission to start a church, he had visited a hospital. This is a true story. And uh, I guess he went to visit someone, but uh, in the process there, he was so moved, he decided to pray for a couple of folks. And he prayed for a lady and prayed for this person. And then he left. He went about his business. You know how we do. We pray for people, and then we go on about our business. The next day, that lady, uh, a couple of people that he had prayed for, specifically that lady, that they went and searched them out, and they found him. Of course, asking what she wants, she, she told him that I want to tell you this, that the reason that I was in the hospital, because I was in the last stage of cancer, and I had come to the hospital to die, that I was done, that life was finished for me. But you prayed for me. Now, we're, we're not talking about back in uh, Paul's day. We're talking about in the 2000s. Can you say Amen. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen and boys and girls, we're talking about in the 2000s. She said that you prayed for me and I was healed. That God, your God, raised me up. And she wanted to know more about his God as well as the other people that he had prayed for. So because of this word spread throughout this town about what he was doing, and eventually word spread to that government official, and then when he was asked again about starting a church, do you know what that government official said? He had to say yes because there were so many people that God had healed in the 2000s and raised them up. So they demanded that a church get started. That person who denied them the chance to build the church now gave them approval and permission. Well, so that's an interesting story. Because have you ever seen anyone healed? See, that, that's the issue. Well, I haven't seen anyone healed, so therefore it can't be true. I've never healed anyone. But I tell you this, as you look at the white of my eyes, that not only have I seen it myself, but God has also used me. I never talk about these things, but I want you to know that God has, has used me in these capacities. It just so happened that the place where I was, that I happened to be out of the country when it happened. Something that, that God wants to do, and, and, and somehow uh, in his own sovereign plan, that he does not do it on a regular basis in a nation like ours that's supposed to know Jesus Christ. Because I know some of you say that if I were just to go and lay hands on one of my friends who is sick and heal them for whatever malady that they may have, I know that they will turn to Jesus Christ. But the question for us then is this. Jesus knows his purpose. We even know our purpose to proclaim the kingdom of God with an anticipation of Christ's soon return. But how else has God called us to minister on his behalf? And again, one of the ways which is more than obvious is through his word. We know we're supposed to spread the gospel like we would spread good news in telling our friends where to find a pile of money. If you are unable to heal the blind, if you have not caused the lame to walk, or cause the deaf to hear, you can certainly spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know many of you in here, you've already done this as well, and you do it on a regular basis, and we celebrate you. But there are also some things that we can do as well. Remember for Jesus and the disciples that they did both, they spread the good news, and they brought about healing and help into the lives of many people. While, again, some of us would never be in a position to heal another, you are definitely in a position to help someone. 
You may not ever see anyone heal of their disease, but God may call you to be a help to someone else. This is something that we must all come to grips with. Who will help that person? That person in need that you saw fell on the sidewalk. Years ago I told a story about uh, one time I was driving down Cicero, and uh, it was uh, this day, I think it was around lunchtime or something, and I was driving the opposite direction, and I saw this lady, she was walking, and then she caught my eye, and it looked like she was staggering a little bit, and, uh, and, and then I kind of drove past, and then I saw she actually fell on the ground, and I kept going past, I'm like, like, she's right, I mean, literally, she was right at the street, and as I went past, I said, there are there a bunch of cars coming past. I said, surely one of those cars are going to stop. Because that's clear. This lady, this lady, she fell. She fell. I mean, she fell hard. And she remained there as I went past. And I kept looking in my rearview mirror. Cars were just zipping past. Maybe they were hitting their brakes. But they were just going past her. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a U-turn. And I made a U-turn. And I said, I was behind a bunch of cars. And none of the cars stopped. And eventually I stopped and I got out. And I asked the lady if she needs some help. Of course she says yes. And then she says, I'm just trying to get to X. I can't remember the whole story now. But she was trying to get someplace and she wanted me to help her. And I looked at her. I said, I said ma'am, I said, as, as hard as you took that fall, I said, you need an ambulance. I mean, she took it hard. I said, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to call the ambulance that come right here to help you because you need... She says, no, no, just... I said, no, because I'm not going to pick you up and risk hurting you. How many of us would have just driven past? How many? Now, I'm, I, again, I must say this because I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, conscious about this I'm, uh, and about myself. It's not that I'm anything. I'm just like you are. I would have done the same thing. You would have done the same thing that I would have done. So don't, don't get that twisted up in that regards. Many of you would have done the same thing. But I also know that some of you would have just drove past and said, well, I'm just going to pray for her. I'm just going to pray for that lady that somebody helps her. Disciples of Jesus Christ are expected to exhibit compassion and kindness to people, especially those that are in need. James chapter 1, verse 27 says, Religion, and we've read this uh, a few weeks ago, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The prophet Isaiah uh, now speaks to this issue within the context of the reasons for fasting, and he says this, Isaiah 58, verse 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, he says? He says, when you're, even when you're fasting, uh, some of us are so jacked up with the way that we're thinking that we can't even help someone else. So now we look at the scripture and take what Jesus says to be literal. Jesus actually did it. His disciples actually did it. You and me also can do it by having compassion on people. Can you say amen? amen. This flows, however, not as a mandate to the world. Do you hear what I'm saying? What Jesus is saying is that he's not talking to the world as a whole. I'll say it again. Jesus is not talking to everybody on this planet. Who is he talking to? He's talking to his people. Followers of Christ who say that they love him should also love people. So where is the love? Remember that song? Where is the love you say was mine, oh mine? To the end of time, or was it just a lie? 
Jesus asks you the question today, where is the love? Where is the love that he has deposited into you when he left his spirit? Or do you just flap? Or is it just a lie? If you are a believer in Jesus, know that the Spirit of the Lord is upon you to heal and to help those in need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your majesty, your presence, your conviction, your love, and your affirmation. Without a doubt, Father, many of your children in this place today, that they receive affirmation because they love people. But yet some of us in here today, Lord God, have also received correction because we have not been loving people the way that you've called us to love people. And for that, we ask you to forgive us. To forgive us of our sin. Forgive us, Lord God, of turning a blind eye to the homeless. Forgive us, Lord God, of turning a blind eye to the man or the woman that needs help on the street, Lord God. Give us wisdom. But we just uh, want to thank you, Lord God, because with the right heart, the brokenness and the contrite heart, Lord God, that you will receive our confession before you today. So strengthen us as we go down this path. And then, Father, we ask the question according to your word, how you came to open the eyes of the blind, that there may be someone in here who is blind today, Someone who is blind to the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they have turned away from you time and time again. But now you're saying to open your eyes and see the salvation of the Lord. Is there anyone in this place today that you would like to give your life to Jesus Christ that you would like to turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. would have you to lift your hand in the air, or you can even stand, whatever you want to do. But we want to be able to see you so we can pray with you. And we want you to know as you struggle with this idea that number one, just because you're in church, that does not make you say no more does it make you a car because you walk in your garage. So some in here, you may think that just because I'm in church, I'm saved. And I want you to know, you are not. Salvation is not dependent upon your physical location. But the presence of the Spirit in your life. 